welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. You're back with the rap as your humble teacher. Crypto Graffiti has your killer t-shirts. Yo, I'm dripping an orange pill in every single creature. Stay in your lane. Keep a couple guardrails when you're playing the game. Be above your heart fails when you look at the curve. Recognize this barbell. Our guest is FBI man Chris Tarbell. Yo, he killed the Silk Road and he locked up Ross. But he knows his crypto. It's a big brain talk. Yo, I glisten when I walk in my Bitcoin dunks. Making chains super heavy like the Bitcoin punks. See, I sift through the chumps when I flow so hard. Got 99 problems, but none is bars. The sun to Mars. I be killing fallacies top down. Feed up, flying through galaxies. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of Firmwide Research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. Former FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell is our guest. He's the man who personally arrested Ross Ulbricht and led the investigation into the Silk Road. He's also the host of the podcast Hacker and the Fed, a great listen. And I think you're going to be really interested in this conversation in general, but specifically Chris's views on privacy and cryptography, I think you'll find quite intriguing. We'll also check in with our good friend Bibnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading to talk markets and macro as always. But before we get into it, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer on the podcast notes and note that none of the information contained in this podcast represents an offer, recommendation, or solicitation or investment advice by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Let's get right into the show. Let's go to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. Great to see you here. You were on vacation last week. Yeah, um, we had a good stand-in. Uh, I know, not a bad for... guy to have. <laughs> um, uh, how's it going? It's going great. It's going great. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, it's been a, a bit of a rocky ride. Yep. The last few weeks in crypto, I guess in all markets, but you know we've already talked about the bank runs and crises, um, which you know I, I guess we, I don't know if we can say it's abated, but it's it's no, now at a low simmer. So to low simmer, but what I would say is that um, one, um, it's still a point of conversation um, across basically every boardroom and kitchen table, yeah. um, in the sense that bank rates are incredibly low, um, and treasuries are incredibly compelling in the context of of, of bank rates, um, and two, uh, the safety around you know regional banks is, is still under question. Um, and the third thing I'd like to highlight um, is that, you know, most people are like, oh, this stuff is abating and they're looking at data that is really old. Like the Fed's like, uh, you know, discount window usage data and the facility data normally is on a one week lag. And so the data we have now and this is what what date is it today? March, March 30th 29th or, or something. Yeah, it's March 9th. I'm pretty sure only covers like like the, the 15th or like something like that. So yeah. so people who understanding of like how how much usage of these facilities is, is lagged i think you're probably still at the point where usage is, is likely to increase um i think you know the the clear implications of, of you know what, what's likely to happen are, are pretty clear one bank rates are probably gonna have to get more competitive your jp morgan's boa city groups of the world you know the the large bulge bracket gsibs of the world um are gonna have to uh raise rates to, to stay competitive um and you know, even the regional guys, um, they are probably also going to have to raise rates to, to, to stay competitive. Keep deposits, and, right? And, I mean, and they're probably going to lose deposits, and you're probably going to have a contraction in, in credit um, and, and lending, and that's going to reverberate, you know, throughout the economy, and the impacts are, you know, yet to be felt. So it's it's on the simmer. It's not abated, but it's ongoing. Um, but ongoing. I, I will say, though, like, um, 
you had crypto, you had Bitcoin. Obviously, we talked about this. Performed very well um, the week that we just uh, apparently issues with the block clock. issues Sorry. with the Wi-Fi in here. But uh, we're at like as we speak, we're at twenty eight four fifty or so yep. on Bitcoin, which is um, almost at pre uh, Fed high, to be honest, right? So we came off a lot after. Yeah, we're we're at the one year high or trend high. For yeah, the year. trend high. Sorry. Yeah, and and so we came off after Jay Powell was hawkish and they and they raised and they signaled more raises. They didn't come out with a dovish hike. It was a hike. Yeah, it was um, a hike, and they still told you their dot. So then we dumped, and then trend. we came, yeah. and then we came back. Yep. And then this CFTC case against Binance came out, and we I wouldn't say we dumped, but we bled lower into the twenty sixes. But then. Yeah. Overnight, last night, we rallied back to trend high again. So it seems yeah. very resilient. Bitcoin and, you know, and ETH, obviously, like, but Bitcoin is the main marker here. Very resilient in the face I, of a lot of turmoil. Incredibly resilient. The technicals are super strong right now. When you see price action like this, I mean, we're on track to post a, a bullish outside month or, you know, what's known as an outside reversal. Um, technically, what that speaks to is you set a lower low than, than the prior month. And yet you're going to close above the high, high, high. Of, of, of the previous month. And you're coming wow. from a, a pretty low base. Um, and you're this is going to be the third month in a row w where it's up. And so it strongly suggests, you know, trend continuation. And we know that 28, you know, 28K, 28.4 is, is resistance. So if you close above there, especially on quarter end, I mean, technically speaking, um, it looks incredibly it looks great, constructive yeah. to the Across upside. Like week, month, quarter, Absolutely. right? They all look nice. Absolutely. Basically, every meaningful dip this year has been bought. It speaks of a market that is underpositioned and feels like they don't have, you know, the upside. It trades like, you know, folks are, are short gamma in certain instances, um, which, you know, can further perpetuate a, a, a squeeze higher. The other sort of big picture macro thing that I'm keeping an eye on is gold, right? You're constantly testing 2K now. That is an all-time high. That's got a um, break, right? I mean, they've been, it's been testing it for weeks now, right? Ish. It, it, it or, has. And, you know, I definitely think that, you know, the banking crisis and the flight to quality and yeah. the bid in treasuries, et cetera, has helped. Uh, but technically speaking, if you break through you know, the highs that the gold is set, you will be in price discovery. Yeah. And folks will be talking about how underinvested they are to gold as it is breaking out to new all-time highs. And what is Bitcoin but digital gold or, you know. In Could be many things, many but things, a lot but, of people view it that way. I agree. You know, I mean, uh, and that's my primary yeah. view of it as a dollar right, You've talked for a hedge. long time, too, about the, the Bitcoin gold chart as one yes, that you like to ratio. watch. Yes, the ratio. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's very clear, too. I mean, you see a safe haven trade happening with gold. Um, there's also the geopolitical stuff that is favor favorable to gold, and and I mean I don't know yet. I'm not saying that you know the nation states of the world or the sovereign the sovereigns or or anyone else is yet using Bitcoin in that way, but they could and and they and they are using gold that way a lot yeah, right no, now. No, absolutely. Because you got this whole dynamic with Russia and China and Saudi and India and like. N none of whom really want dollars. I yeah, mean, Saudi's every, in bed with us still, in dish, but they're they have enough dollars. <laughs> they have plenty of dollars, and they're courting the Chinese pretty yeah, pretty. No, so absolutely, there's there's a demand for a non-dollar, you know, settled trade, and perhaps other. There, there, now you're not going to settle trade physically yeah. with gold, but there, there's a demand for dollar alternatives. Right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and there's strong interest um, from you know global players to end the dollar dominance, not yep. necessarily. Uh, to you know, take it over with like rubles, but 
you know, the fact that the U.S. can just print money infinitely gives it such a tremendous advantage, you know, over the world from a trade, security, from various perspectives. So, you know, there's a lot of folks that are actively trying to move away from that. Um, I think, you know, one of the key things about gold is that you actually have central banks that buy it. You know, PBOC being being, right. being a big one, but other you know central banks across the world, right? There's a you know, basically they print money on the side and buy, <laughs> buy, buy gold, and so uh, you know they're, they're, I, I, there's a healthy demand for it. Right. I think you know if you're looking at global asset allocators, they're probably underweight gold um, as well. So there's positioning oriented, you know, potential. There's you know central bank oriented buying uh, potential, and then there's the technical break of you know yeah. 2K or 2100 that that you know likely going to get meaningful follow through. So I think there's a lot of of constructive things at play and then the other thing and my favorite thesis about gold or you know kind of one of the reasons why i like it a lot um is because of the price action over the past like two years if you think about where gold was at the start of the u.s tightening cycle and what you know the markets went through nasdaq plunging you know bonds selling off like crazy flash crashes and in, in the pound and in, in the yen Right, like we went through a, a, an incredible year of, of of global macro markets, and what did gold do? You know, from the start of twenty two to end of twenty three, it was basically unchanged mm -hmm. in one of the most historic years in, in markets ever, and that just shows you how strong of a store of value it is. Right, um, and two, uh, like if it can withstand huge macro risk off, what well, how's it really going to perform in a huge macro risk on? When the world realizes that you know you're going to be at low rates for a really long time, and it's basically structurally impossible to go get back to a higher rate regime, and so um, you know I like gold, and I you know I want to protect myself against you know dollar debasement. And I think Bitcoin's the better way to play it, but you know I definitely see gold doing well. As well. Let's let's talk about rates, um, yeah, because uh, you know we had the 25 bip hike. We were joking here, and I think you know this is overheard on the street in general, like. A lot of people thought it would either be a hawkish pause or a dovish hike. I think we actually got a pretty hawkish hike. I mean, a smaller yeah, hike. Yeah, I would say it's probably a hawkish hike. Yeah, I mean, and, and that that's why markets reacted negatively but have rebounded. At least yeah. crypto has rebounded. Um, but, you know, we were joking. Like, you know, we look at the where where the, the sort of what do they call it? Is it a futures market for rates that we look at the street where? Uh, it's, you know, swaps. Like swaps, yeah. Fed so, funds, yeah, sofers. And, and yeah. this um, had, in the end, they the market had come to an agreement. It was more likely than not going to be a 25 bips hike, which is where that Correct. ended. But but what are they pricing now? And um, because I it looks like the market is still sort of against the Fed on this, yeah, viewing so, even cuts by as early as July, right? Is that yeah, what it looks like, like now? halfway through the year. Yeah, the market but the Fed like is really gonna, signaling that's that not likely. they don't want to cut through this year, yeah. basically. The Fed's like, we're going to take rates to like, you know, around 5%, 5.10 um, is where the dot plot had things. The terminal rates are currently priced at 491, expected to peak next meeting, basically. Um, so, um, and then you have a, about another, you know, 50, 60 basis points of cuts priced through this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the market is calling the they, the market is currently kind of calling the Fed bluff. They're saying the Fed's bluffing, basically. They, or they're disagreeing with the they're, Fed. I they're mean. disagreeing with the Fed, um, and I think it's totally reasonable to to disagree with the Fed, particularly in the context of what we know is going to be a very slow consumer in the back half of this year, and, and data that's probably going to slow. Again, we've talked about it. Student loans you have to start repaying. You know, uh, 
auto loans, you know, the, the ballooning auto loan payments, the continual decline in, in savings balances and credit card balances, you know, go, going up. So we know the back half of, of the year, I think, is going to be really slow, you know, data wise. And, you know, I think the market is, is picking up on that. And the market's saying, oh, Fed's going to see that data. Fed's going to see owner's equivalent rent moving lower. Um, they're going to, you know, react cut. to that. They're going to react. Yeah. Um, and the credit conditions are tightening, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, you know, the market has to price in, like, what kind of a cut, right? Because a cut can be 25 basis points, 50 basis points, or 100, or even 200, mm-hmm. right? So you have to probability weight, like, what you think the, the first cut is going to be and when it's going to be. So that leads to certain distortions in, in the pricing. Um, but largely speaking, you know, I think the, the biggest takeaway is that the right tail of, of rate risk has gone away from the market. We're not in a world where we're feasibly taking rates up to 6%. Seven, eight, yeah. Uh, that's that right that tail feels of impossible rates. impossible right now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the idea that rates have peaked or expectations for terminal rates have peaked has fully set into the market. And I think that is, you know. Can the market be wrong about this? Um, potentially. The area where it could be wrong is one. It's twofold, right? The labor market is still tightest. It's a, you know basically been in history, you know three five three six unemployment rate. Nobody's losing jobs quite yet in a meaningful way. You get a spiraling wage pressures, et cetera, and, and that kind of you know takes inflation higher. The other is like commodity complex, right? If if crude oil for some reason went to a hundred dollars a barrel tomorrow, we'd have inflation issues again. Um, and so. Yeah, there are scenarios where you know inflation do- does tick up. Um, so basically, if inflation is is high, it's stubborn, it it becomes an even even bigger problem. Let's say, then Powell's got to go Volcker and really smack us down, and and then the right tail of of higher rates really could rear its head. Yeah, but outside of that, outside of that, the market's it pretty looks clear. like we're like yeah there. We're chilling. And generally speaking, you like you can ask. If you asked me a year ago or right when we started the tightening cycle, yeah, like December. When, when I think it'd be a great time to own Bitcoin, I'd tell you it's probably when the Fed ends its hiking right cycle. Right when it stops. Yeah. The, or like, just right before, in and around. Around there. Right. We're big picture thinkers, you know, yeah. trying to think about this asset class, you know, from the perspective of where it's going to be a couple years down the line and in the kind of terminal state of monetary policy. Um, and so, you know, Right here, right now, when I'm and I'm looking at the end of, of, of U.S. monetary tightening, and the U.S. looking at the real limits as starts to, to look at it seriously and think yeah. about. And and the other thing, while we're on bonds, you know, um, it's so crazy. Bill Gross had this tweet the other day. Uh, bond king, former bond king at Pimco, he's probably gone a little crazy now, but again, he spoke to you know one of the key points about you know the state of debt um, at the moment. Um, that being. You need more debt to just refinance the, the existing debt out there in, in the U.S., right? And it's really tough for me. Like, I understand bond markets really well and, you know, running twin deficits and, you know, how, how those deficits get financed by central banks, foreign parties, et cetera. And, like, you know, I have, I have a solid appreciation for, you know, what money is and, you know, how it gets moved and stuff. And... You know, it my terminal state of like monetary policy always gets me to you want to be long gold, you want to be long Bitcoin, you want to be long hard assets because you know money's constantly being devalued. And I think this is a natural conclusion most people get to. Yeah. But I think uh, more and more, 
like as you get through this stage and people realize that it's bailouts, it's stimulus checks, it's student loan forgiveness in perpetuity forever and rates aren't going up and your bank account's not going to pay you money even though the, the rates are going up. Um, and just how quickly money moves now, the ability to you know go from fiat to crypto or from one fiat location to another fiat location. Um, you know, I think all of that is really going to start become self reinforcing and you know people are going to become aware. Um, but it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time, I think. Bimnet, Abibi, Galaxy Trading, great to have you as always, my friend. Pleasure. Let's go now to our guest, Chris Tarbell, former FBI agent, current uh, cybersecurity consultant, host of Hacker and the Fed podcast. Welcome, my friend. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. I've been excited uh, since we got this in the books for a lot of reasons. So, so for our listeners, Chris uh, was the lead case agent on the Silk Road investigation into Ross Ulbricht. So we're going to talk a lot about that. But also, as you can tell, given that background and your current uh, activities, knows a lot about Bitcoin and crypto. And I'd love to pick your brain on a range of topics. Sounds good. Yeah, I got into crypto really early and not so much into it anymore. Uh, you know, I, I work at a, I co-founded a, a cybersecurity firm called Naxo and we, you know, crypto is part of our stuff. Uh, but, you know, I work with a really smart guy who's much better at crypto than I am. Uh, he actually we worked together on the Silk Road. I brought him in to help me on Silk Road um, and he did most of the crypto there. And so, uh, you know. Love to talk to you about crypto. Yeah, so let's start with the Silk Road since right. that I think, um, well, I mean, it's it was an iconic moment in cybersecurity. It was an iconic moment, obviously, for Bitcoin at the time. It was basically a Bitcoin only market. So uh, the Silk Road was, but like the whole market, right? There weren't all these other cryptos even back then. Um, and a lot of people, I think, objectively, it was sort of like Ross Ulbricht took the Bitcoin concept all the way to its like perfect final destination, right? Like he used it as money for illegal activity because it could be, right? Um, you know, what, what I guess the, um, let me start it off really poor question. What was it like working on that investigation, right? It was I mean, great. Yeah. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Silk Road was a, an odd thing back then because, you know, you do cybercrime, the investigation goes track the IP addresses and track the money. Yeah. That's the two things. And, you know, Ross had found a way to use Tor to avoid us being able to track IP addresses and this new thing, crypto, back in the day. Uh, so we couldn't trace the money. You know, there yeah. were no chain analysis. There was no nothing of that. So, so you had to find him. You found him in the library in San Francisco, right? He's actually physically caught at that point. He was. I found him in his house. Luckily, he left the house and came down to the library. Made it a little day. easier? Made it a lot easier because we had learned a lesson from a, a previous hacker that we arrested that the laptop was the most important thing, more important than the actual man. I want to ask you about that because sure. he was – you see him in the library. You guys have a team there whatever. You end up seizing him, right? And, of course, he tries to close the laptop. Top, right. And this is a in a cyber investigation. A lot of computers are encrypted. Right. Like if, if you don't have the password, it could be very difficult to get in. So you want to always like capture the flash memory if you can right away. Right. And you want to keep it open. Like don't let them log out. Don't let them lock it down. Is that was that an important takeaway here? That was the most important. I, you know, I gave the execute command to, to arrest him. And, the, you know, it was like part of the message was, you know, let Ross run if he has to. We'll get him later. You we want need the that laptop because yeah. we arrested another guy and he closed the laptop. And it took us a long time yeah. to, to get into that computer. So the FBI seized a bunch of Bitcoin mm -hmm. over the course of these Silk Road, first the for, Ross's Silk Road, right? And then it was what, rebooted again by others. And then those people were also caught, right? Yep. So 
what was off the top of your head? I mean, I think I've heard like about 150,000 Bitcoin basically in total was seized from these things. Well, was from just from Ross's, it was 177,000. Oh, wow. A little over 177,000. So, yeah. And some of that was auctioned, right? Mm-hmm. We know, I, I think pretty famously, Tim Draper, the venture capitalist, bought like the whole slug of one of these auctions. Um, but what, they still hold? The government still has a bunch of this Bitcoin? I, to be honest, I don't really know what it is. Uh, like I said, that smart guy, Matt Edmond, that I work with, he, he's a co-founder at Naxo, too. Um, we went to his apartment, and we logged in, and we transferred it over in chunks of 324 um, <laughs> because on a telephone, 324 says FBI because we wanted to troll the Internet that day. Oh, my God. Uh, and then went and ate barbecue across the street and then came back when it finished. So Matt, basically, you got his laptop, you got access to the wallets, and then he just, like, writes a bunch of Bitcoin transactions and 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 broadcast them onto the Bitcoin network to just seize the money. Yeah, we had to. Do a fresh wallet. He went to Iceland. When I arrested Ross, he was sitting in Iceland with uh, a couple of FBI agents, and uh, he was able to seize the coins over there. Um, we transferred them, put them on a thumb drive. I had to walk around with them for three days in my pocket um, because the safe only opens on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Unbelievable. Um, and so, yeah, then we went to Matt's one night uh, and transferred them over there while we ate barbecue. That's it was, amazing. It was a great night. Love that. Um, so I, I've got to ask you, and I understand that it's not your thing to comment on probably, and so that's fine, but a lot of the um, the world, I mean, not, I wouldn't say it's the you know the world's biggest movement but there's the free ross movement i mean i think obviously the most hardcore libertarians think that his sentencing is too long i don't know what it is it's what multiple life sentences or something two life sentences plus 40 years (laughs) which is intellectually just uh, the the fact that the government does that is kind of funny because it's like i mean you know one life sentence would clearly suffice right it's more than el chapo yeah well that's the thing i mean is it fair like i mean we know he did bad stuff right and and um I'll ask you about the the allegations that he had paid for assassinations. Sure, um, but like, is it fair? I really don't public. I have a public. I have an opinion. I yeah. publicly don't share that. Yeah. Um, you know the three branches of the government. You know. Right. It wasn't the FBI that imposed the sentence. No, right? it's we, the judge. It's yeah, the court. It's the judicial so, side. You know, yeah. we were just executing the laws. The 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 legislative branch. Yeah. Put in place. And I that, think one of the reasons. I totally get that. And I think one of the reasons in um, that the. the um, to the extent there's not a huge public outcry, it's like you get the movie that recently came out. Um, it's a relatively entertaining movie. I mean, yeah, I, it, was it wasn't okay. part of the project. It was it was nice to see a guy with my name, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, he kind of portrayed an asshole. And uh, yeah, I my partners will tell me that I, I am that asshole. So <laughs> it's all right. Um, it was the idea that he ordered assassinations. It wasn't just that he was doing a libertarian open market, which of course was immediately used for drugs, um, which is bad. It's crime, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, but Ordering people to be murdered—that's clearly evil, right? Like, absolutely. Um, yeah. Did he? I mean, because the feds never actually brought those charges against him. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing you I know, mean, Ross made a lot of mistakes in, in configuring things and all that, and to include all the backups of the Silk Road, we're going to a server in Philadelphia. Right. Um, you know, that not, was so I, they they could reconstitute it if it was taken down, right? I, I guess, but why you put it in U.S. infrastructure? <laughs> I don't really understand that. At part least put of it on it. a thumb drive. Yeah, put it put it in a foreign country, not on a you cloud. Know, it's a little hard, harder U.S. To cloud. Find. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he also had a, because we got that laptop and we got it open, didn't close it. I mean, he he was the only person with a password to that. He opened it and was running. His right. fingers were on it when he arrested him. There was a, uh, a, a sort of a diary on there. There was messages and stuff that proved this in your in your guys's mind. Well, there were messages on the Silk Road server in Iceland, and there were also his diary where he he, he was the only person that had access to the account, kept good track of it. You know, I sent, you know, 
blah 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 this much crypto for this for this you know and it it really showed like the arc of the way his mindset went you know the first murder he paid for was was very difficult um that was for him you mean you can tell yeah Yeah. you know what should i do what should i do and that was the one that carl force and sean bridges were part of those were the agents that were arrested part of the baltimore investigation um but by the time the last one uh, there was you know the hitman the quote-unquote hitman came to him and said you know uh we're going to uh you know I have to go in there, but he has three roommates. And he's like, we'll just kill them all. Wow. So, you know, his mindset changed over time. Fascinating. Um, let's talk about Bitcoin and crime in general, right? Sure. So Because this, the Silk Road, and it obviously was used to great extent at uh, in the Silk Road. We know this, right? I mean, it was... It was the only... That's how the they did it. That's that how they it. did everything. And it wasn't yeah. all crypto, but there weren't really other cryptos back then. It was Bitcoin, specifically. Yeah. Um, and But, you know, is is Bitcoin, as a federal investigator... You know, when you do money laundering investigations, you've got to – there isn't a central ledger really for money to be honest, right? Every bank kind of like deals with their counterparty bank when money is moved. And if I'm a bank that trusts your bank, like I, there is no like show me five hops back, right? It's sort of like, well, it came from a legit bank. I'm a legit bank, so it's clean for now. We have some for-benefit information that we also log. And if there's a you know a red flag, banks and financial institutions file a suspicious activity report with FinCEN, right? And there's so there's there's reporting to look at, but it's you can't just like it's not as easy as pushing a button and seizing money in our current banking system, right? Like you have to send a bunch of letters, and if it goes to a foreign bank, it gets hard all of a sudden, right? Like it, it compare that to investigating money laundering on the blockchain, so. Now, investigating bank money moving through, it's, it's a series of subpoenas. And you got to right. wait for them all to come back and put the pieces all together. Um, you know, when we were doing blockchain analysis, you know, we didn't have any chain analysis or any of those tools. There's no so software. There's nothing we could do. So, again, this Matt Edmund invented his own tools yeah. uh, in order to do all this stuff. Um, and he was the key to season all the all Silk Road stuff. Um, and so, you know. We didn't know how to do it, and he came up with a way. So, you know, and it was easy. It was, we could see the whole picture. You could see, you know, money in, money out. Everything was there. No subpoenas needed. So, in some ways, if you have the tools or if you build them, easier, better, easier. Or- you can see a lot more. I mean, there, there's still speculation, right? You, you don't know. know who each recipient necessarily is, but you've got a map of the money flow, right? Yeah, if it goes into an exchange and kind of gets into a mixer, you know, you, Send them you a to, subpoena. Yeah, you have to sort of kind of make some guesses there, um, but a, a lot faster, a yeah. lot faster than traditional bank investigations. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I just I bring this up because following the Silk Road and that whole era, there was a whole bunch of people that got interested in blockchain. They said, "Well, blockchain, not Bitcoin, because like Bitcoin could be for criminals. It certainly was used by criminals." Um, but one of the things I tell them is that, well, it's, it's Bitcoin's pretty much the most traceable money ever created. So, yeah, I mean, it's pseudonymous, right? It's not like my name's on the blockchain. But if you can get that information otherwise, elsewise in your investigation, it can be highly traceable. It's really not great for criminals, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, you people get tripped up all the time with KYC information. You know, they make one, you know, uh, you know, if there's a thing called fruit of the poisonous tree. So one Bitcoin goes into an account. All of those then are labeled as bad. Right. Uh, if that that one Bitcoin was bad. So, you know, and it gives the investigator someone to ask. Right. Exactly. This, this account. We know who that one is. Right. So yeah. we'll go ask them. Um, just kind of an interesting concept. It's sort of rethinking how AML investigations are. Right. I mean, it's a whole new type of money. But it's not totally contrary to it. it. Might be hard. You might know that the money is tainted and be unable to seize it, 
which isn't really the same as in the traditional bank world, right? Where if you find this, the dirty money and it's in an institution under your under the American jurisdiction, you, you're going to be able to get that money, right? This could be like, well, we see it going to a foreign terrorist, but we aren't, we don't have the keys to the, we can't actually get the coins, right? So that, is that the yeah, main I mean, difference? I mean, I mean, yeah, that's probably the main difference. More traceable, less seizable. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to create a hard fork if you really wanted it to go over there, and you know, I don't think the don't U.S. Think the government Bitcoin. has that much reach. Yeah, they don't. They don't have <laughs> enough sway over the Bitcoiners to actually get them to fork out their coins. Um, ransomware, sure. big crypto crime topic, right? Obviously, I mean, first of all, how big a problem is ransomware? Is it a huge problem? I hear that it's huge. Hundreds of billions. I haven't of dollars. been ransomware. Yeah. yeah, hundreds of billions of dollars every year earned. Um, by criminals it, or whatever, it, it either damaged or, oh, I see. or earned. You know, so not a hundred billion in ransoms paid, but yeah. So yeah. we've had encryption for what seventy five years, hundred years, even you know, a long time for for that. But you know, really, it was the rise of crypto that that payment option. You know, like people weren't like locking up your data and saying put the duffel bag of cash in. Uh, and they weren't saying like send an ACH or a Fedwire yeah, to this bank account, too traceable and all that. So <laughs> yeah. really, it was crypto came along that made the ransomware go. And you know, ransomware is getting a little bit better, where you know people are realizing how to you know sort of mitigate it. You know, if you have really good backups, you know, right. and you get ransomware, you can just restore those backups. Right. Or if you're very good at segmenting your networks and not even allow the ransomware to go from, you know, machine to machine to machine, you know, very good. What that they, there's a name in cybersecurity for this new um, theory of uh, what, like zero confidence. What's it called? Zero trust. Zero trust. Design yeah. your network where basically not a single employee, like even if they're hacked, they have nothing basically. Right. Yeah, and they they they, you, they say you and I are plugged into the same network. My computer doesn't trust your net, your computer on anything. Yeah. It's kind of hard in the business world to have perfect zero trust, you know, yeah. because we're about sharing information and, and working collaboratively together. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, but, you know, r ransomware is now going on to move on to the extortion. So a lot of places and you're getting your, sh your shit locked up through encryption, but they're also stealing it. And then they're saying we're going to publish it if you don't pay now. Got it. So that's really kind of where ransomware is morphing well, into. Uh, on the ransomware side, too, again, before we move on, the um, there's one interesting thing that I've heard, which is that um, part of the reason it's been so effective is that the most ransomware hackers, they do unencrypt or they don't publish the data if you pay, right? They, they're actually like, I don't want to, I'm certainly not calling them ethical, but it's like there's a there's sort of a pact where like and the reason that they will unlock it if you pay is because they need the next person to pay and the yeah. next person. Yeah, like, they're businessmen. Yeah, they're businessmen. Yeah. They're, they're pretty fair about it. They're just I mean, in that way. Yeah. And people negotiate with them, you know, say so, we just can't afford this or we'll give it to you now, some now and some in a little bit or something. Like. Yeah, there was a law recently released about one of the negotiations. And, and one of the interesting things I found is that they'll research regulators in your country. And <laughs> they said, well, you can pay us this, but the regulators are going to charge you four times as much as if we release this information because they know you're, you're hacked. So why don't you just pay us the quarter and we'll keep this all quiet? Wow. <laughs> and so, then they do keep it quiet, typically. Um, yeah, I mean, so you really should find the vulnerability of how they came into your your For network. Sure. I mean, it obviously could just be phishing, you know, as easy as that. But, uh, you know, you're not going to want to leave that vulnerability wide open. Totally. And I'm not recommending paying it. Right. Uh, I'm recommending having a very secure network and right. not allowing it into the system to begin with. Well, and that's the thing, too, right? A lot of the a lot of the most, maybe most prominent, but I don't know, you probably know the landscape more, but victims of ransomware, it's like hospitals because they run a super old operating system they haven't patched in 10 years or like uh even like the colonial pipeline attack right like i, I don't know but i'm assuming 
just, you know, the, the random infrastructure manufacturing sector. They're not like computer wizards, right? Yeah, towards networks, networks ne- they can never go down. Yeah. Like, you know, like hospitals, you can't really shut them off and restart them. That's um, true. They, right, they're, so they're likely to pay. Like, yeah. Because, they, cause it, yeah, it's not like we can have no from a coffee shop. You can survive without a, a, a computer for a couple of days. You yeah. Can't, versus, not if you're an infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. Uh, you know, so and, and you know, it, it's getting better. People are starting to realize what ransomware is. Uh, companies are starting to protect. Um, but, you know, we always can do better. Uh, the I want to ask you about another thing that's related. So some of the Silk Road coins, apparently, I, I, th- I believe maybe um, the first week of March of this year were seen moving on chain, I believe about 10,000 Bitcoins. Okay. And and the um, media, and I think pulling this info from some blockchain analysis people, said that the coins were being sent to Coinbase. And I was trying to understand why that might be, right? And not only me, a lot of analysts were trying to understand what that means. Typically when the U.S. Marshals have um, dispensed of Bitcoin that they've seized, it's through an auction. Um, or I guess there haven't been a lot many in a while. Any, uh, I'm willing to put forth my own two theories if you prefer that way, and you can comment on them. But do you have any idea why the why they might send it to an exchange? I don't know. It'd be speculation, but yeah. I'm certainly welcome to walk down that path with you. Let's and speculate. I, I can tell you what I know. <laughs> yeah, let's speculate. I mean, what, I mean, historic right? And the coins that you guys seized, a lot of them, uh, or some of them, were auctioned. Right? I, I mentioned that before that Tim Draper famously bought some of them. Um, nice trade. <laughs> um, but, yeah, why? Why? I mean, are they not doing auctions anymore? I haven't seen one in a while. Like, I really don't know what the Marshalls – I mean, they recently suffered a hack. Uh, themselves. The, the Marshalls did, yeah, in the last couple months. Oh, wait. Was this – there was the one, too, where they had seized a guy and his brother actually – they didn't move the coins. There was that story, too, right? Uh, so his brother, like, then got arrested for – there was a story. It was like the, see, the, the feds just had Bitcoin they'd seized, like, pulled out from under them. Sure. Well, it's because they just, like – you can't prove that no one else has the keys, and they didn't move them to keys that they knew that. Oh, they didn't move them fast enough out of the wallet. And so the guy they had arrested's brother okay. took the coins and like spent them. <laughs> All right, I didn't hear about that <laughs> one. But so not that hack. Not that they uh, the marshals got hit with ransomware recently. Wow. And so I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't. When we worked with the marshals, they they were good about keeping them in cold storage. Yeah, uh, and so, so but you're saying theoretically uh, they might have to pay a ransom. That could be a reason that they moved coin. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, uh, I, but yeah. Here's the other ideas that I had. They're, they're, I doubt it would come out of those funds. It would right. come, you know, because those well, that's funds. that's what's weird. That, those funds are like evidence, basically, right? Or well, how, do, how do they think about seized coin or seized money? Sure. Once everything is adjudicated and the, the seizure order is signed and it's turned, it then becomes government forfeiture. Um, all anything forfeited in a criminal investigation that way, like um, yeah. a, like a drug dealer is Cars. arrested in Lamborghini. Yeah. it then goes to undercovers. So oh, wow. all that money funds federal undercover investigations. Ah, I see. That's smart. So yeah. so it could be um, funding something undercover theoretically. I mean, I guess they would send it if it was. Yeah. If it was, they send it to Coinbase to help wash it, basically, right? I would think. I mean, so they're gonna, you know, hopefully people, the marshals are good enough, and coin, with Coinbase's help, I mean, they're not gonna, gonna send it to chip enough. mixer or whatever, like an illegal. Like you're not gonna see like funds from a U.S. government wallet go into an illegal tumbler. Not the first hop, I wouldn't. Suppose. <laughs> no, yeah. The other weird ideas I had, uh, the two main ones, it was sort of something like this: funding something undercover. Yeah. Um, the other one is even stranger. I'll mention it just for the audience, although I don't think either of us really have any way of knowing if this is true, but. Um, the government is currently under special measures. They're funding the government by the Treasury Department moving money around. Currently, we are because we've we're, we're out. They're out of money. 
right? And there's the debt limit. This goes into this debt limit fight in Congress, which they have every couple of years. They've never failed to raise the debt limit. But that apparently they don't have to do actually until sometime this summer. Until then, I don't know, Uncle Sam can just sort of like move some money around and get it paid. What if the what if the U.S. Marshal said, hey, Treasury, we're out of money, like, and they were just like, just sell some of that Bitcoin. I mean, I think you'd have to see either Congress or an executive order that says that money can be used for that sort of thing. Because it normally can't be. It normally can't. It can only go to fund law, undercover law Got enforcement it. operations. So Interesting. You know, maybe somebody will now, <laughs> one of your listeners will find some sort of document where there was an executive order that says it could be used that way. But but I doubt it. Yeah. I, I more think it's going to be used in some sort of undercover operation. So as someone who's obviously worked in federal law enforcement knows the cybersecurity landscape and also some of the crypto issues what does the u.s government what tools does the u.s government want to make this better like why or let me say it a different way why is the u.s government so notably antagonistic against the crypto world when other jurisdictions are really moving in the other direction so again just speculation on my side yeah uh but i would think it's two parts it's a little bit of ignorance where you know it's scary i don't know what it is uh, for computer crimes, we still use telephone laws in order to fight those crimes. So if I want to get like a, uh, it's called a PRTT, um, you know, if I want to get that information, that's a telephone registry. Uh, yeah. If I want to get a T3, I use telephone laws to get a, you know, wiretap on a computer. So we have outdated laws. Outdated laws that aren't, it's not even keeping up with the computers, but think how long till crypto. Um, you know, we we see our representatives on TV every day. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of them would understand crypto if, uh, if tested. Um <laughs> But in two, you know, uh, I, you know, we talked about it. You know, sports gambling took a very long time in order to become legal. And what caused it to become legal? They figured out a way of taxing it. So they want their piece. Of course they want their piece. Yeah, that's how the, we fund the government. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that's a lot of unregulated money moving yeah. back and forth, you know. So I would suspect they want their piece. So when, and when we think about the – another thing I want to ask about. Uh, so the – Along similar lines, right? The government has had a very long antagonistic relationship with open cryptography, right? There's Phil Zimmerman in in PGP, where briefly they charged him criminally. Then they tried. Then they were going to sue him. They 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 thought that um, the government was treating cryptography as a munition. They they uh, wanted they wanted to sue. They sued briefly Phil Zimmerman o- under the um, Arms Export Control Act, right? That sharing and that that uh, cryptography is a military technology and sharing it with foreign adversaries is treason, basically, was the argument. Of course, he didn't specifically share it with foreign adversaries. He released it publicly for everyone. Um, and since then, there was and then there was the Clipper chip in the 90s and the, from the Clinton administration. Um, there's the San Bernardino iPhone, uh, right, where they, they – we know – like the government has been hostile against encrypted messaging um, for a long time. I'm sure continues to be. Um, not only the U.S. government, basically all governments. Um, oh. And then you use that tech to build money, and it's like that's a really big thumb in the eye. Yeah, the Russians just outlawed 10 or 12 different you know, communications that use encryption. Uh, weirdly, Signal wasn't on that one. That is weird. Yeah, we, we covered that in like an episode of Hacker in the Fed a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So I, I, I listen recommend to, to listen to that. Yeah, check that podcast out, by the way. I mentioned at the top Hacker in the Fed, uh, Chris's podcast with um, – Hector Montsegor, a guy I arrested. It was Sabu from Anonymous. So there's not many podcasts out there where the one co-host arrested the other one. (laughs) So facing 125 years for what he did. Wow. But but we worked that off, so it was good. Um, So do you think that the government, like, how does this, I don't know how does this end, but like crypto, 
or and encryption encrypted messaging. I think in my mind, as far as I consider the government's posture on the law enforcement side of the government's posture on this, it's more about the it's similar the encrypted messaging versus the encrypted money, quote unquote. Um, do they does it do they call for new laws? I mean, you got the who's the head of the FBI, Chris Ray now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say he's been the most like antagonistic, but James Comey was quite had given many speeches about encrypted messaging. Um, P- President Barack Obama said, "We don't want every uh, uh, we don't want a Swiss bank account in everyone's pocket." Talking about your phone, he was talking about encrypted messaging, but mm-hmm. Bitcoin is kind of like that. Um, how does this end? Do you think the Fed's like? I mean, does this go on forever? Is there going to be? Are we destined now that this cryptography is open and public to have a perpetual? tension between the public's use of it and the government's need to access it i hope so i i hope that the government never requires us to uh to you know give up our passwords in some countries it's a crime yeah. if you get arrested and don't give your password that uses another charge uh, i really hope we don't go that way I'm a, I'm a privacy guy um i'm a technologist i want to see the things move forward um and to like to retard that 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 technology moving forward is it would be scary to me yeah you believe that's like a human right that like humanity deserves to have private privacy? Um, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, <laughs> but uh, but I think as Americans we deserve you know it, it's part of our constitution yeah. to be able to have privacy. I mean, Be- uh, Ben Franklin said that it would be worse to uh, put uh, that it would be better to let one bad guy go free than to have you know a bunch of innocent people be detained. At the time, Vice President Dick Cheney said once gave a quote that's literally the opposite of that, that we were fine with having catch, capturing up a bunch of innocents to get the bad guy. Um, doesn't it feel sort of like that? Like- until you're the innocent. I mean, people can get behind that until you or your family member is the innocent. So, you know, I can give you the emotional pull. Like I worked a case where there were parents selling their children on the Internet. They were, well, sell, they were renting them out. So if you wanted to rent a child for a few hours, you could do it. And they use cryptocurrency in order to pay for that. You know. That's, you know, but I can't think of anything worse, you know, than right. that. So, you know, do we want to end cryptocurrency? Because that is a problem. So that's the thing. And then you got all this. This is exactly what I'm getting at. Same thing with messaging, right? If you got yeah. a bunch of terrorists that are able to use private messaging, that's we I think we all agree that's bad. Yeah. But the positive use cases of it are pretty dramatic as well. But because gotta, bad guys are using something, some sort of technology I shouldn't be able to. Right. Bad guy drove a car, not banning cars, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not to get too political, but they kind of go in that way with gun control, and bad guys use guns, so nobody can use guns. Right. So, so you think they'll they'll continue to make that argument though, and and you, it's up to the you know the legal law abiding public that also still wants these tools to you know constantly fight back. That's that's the world we're in. Laws are made by people that we vote into into power, so it comes down to your vote. Um, I, this has been a great conversation, Chris. Um, uh, thank you so much for coming. I, I, w- what's on your radar in the cybersecurity and and I don't know in crypto space, like in the next year? I don't know what any, any like sort of insight into like where you think the the space is going or for your business, um, you know, cybersecurity firm. Like, what's top of mind for you right now? So Hector Hector on the podcast the other day, we we talked about what's going to happen in 2023. He says the insider threat, so I, I can't take that one. Um, I think ransomware is going to continue to go. Um, there's a lot of low hanging fruit, and it's going to go out there um, in the crypto space. You know, there was a, a lot of mom and pops that that bought into crypto and sort of burnt on it these days uh, and trying to get out of it. But I think crypto is going to just get stronger. Um, I think there's going to be this poll we talk about between the government uh, and people with privacy for encryption and for cryptocurrency. Uh, and I hope that poll continues because I, I don't want to see the government win this one. 
Chris Tarbell, former FBI agent, uh, current host of Hacker in the Fed podcast, cybersecurity entrepreneur. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. That's it for Galaxy Brains this week. Thank you so much to our guest, former FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell. Hey, check out his podcast, Hacker in the Fed. It's one of my favorites. Also, thank you to Bimnet, a BB from Galaxy Trading, as always. This was a fun show, um, but you know what? we got a lot more fun shows coming up, so have a great weekend, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.